Welcome back to the People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. On today's episode, I have Jenna Ben Scherscher, the founder and CEO of Twist Out Cancer. Welcome, Jenna. Thank you so much. Yeah, so full disclosure before we begin, I have been working with Twist Out Cancer for about two and a half years, in addition to my work with Staff Geek. And I think it's really important for Jenna to come on the show because Jenna has experienced, you know, grief with the organization Twist Out Cancer. And I think it's important for HR leaders and people in the people space to understand how to navigate grief. Jenna, can you explain how Twist Out Cancer was founded? Yeah, so Twist Out Cancer was founded after my own experience with gray zone lymphoma. I uh, was 29 at the time, was diagnosed with a super rare blood cancer, and I sort of had to navigate deal with this on my own. I, there was not a ton of resources out there that were available to me as far as, you know, prognosis, statistics related to my diagnosis. So as a young adult, sort of in the prime of their life, I had to figure out what I needed and what I wanted to sort of change after I was done with the treatment. And so what I found is that there were plenty of organizations out there that were focused on research, which is super critical. It's organizations like Leukemia and Lymphoma Society that saved my life, and I feel incredibly indebted to organizations focused on medical breakthroughs and research. But I also found that there was not a lot of resources out there on the emotional impact of a cancer diagnosis, both on the individual, but also on the loved ones that sort of inner orbit around the person with cancer. So. I really wanted to focus my time and energy on filling the gap. And, you know, I noticed um, that there was not resources out there in terms of focusing on owning your story. Yeah. So I didn't find that there were a lot of organizations that were focused on the psychosocial impact of cancer. And I really wanted to do something that would fill that need because it was something that was so glaring to me during my own experience. And so Twist focuses on the emotional impact of a cancer diagnosis both on the individual and their loved ones. And we use creative arts as a mechanism for healing. So everything that we do is creative arts focused. It empowers people to tell their story. It engages and activates the community and it uses the arts to tell that story and for healing purposes. Yeah. And that was started 10 years ago. Yep. Crazy. <laughs> 10 years. Wow. So what have those 10 years been like working with, you know, people touched by cancer and helping them, you know, process a really tough time? Yeah. So, I mean, I think when I think about like the last 10 years, there's almost like a couple different phases of that, right? So when I first started Twist, it was a passion project. It was something I was doing in my early mornings, nights, and weekends when I was back at the Anti-Defamation League, working full time entrenched in advocacy work and fighting anti-Semitism and hate. And so I was able to kind of turn off cancer for eight hours during the day and then turn it back on. I would go home or like when I would work on building twist. And I think I really needed that healthy demarcation of space because I was still very much in it. I mean, cancer was not an afterthought. It was at the forefront of my mind, especially in the first five years post-treatment. So, you know, I think 
I needed to hit a number of different milestones in order to even consider doing twist in a more full-time capacity. And so I sort of straddled both worlds of my former life and my current life, like my world in the ADL and who I was pre-cancer to who I now was like as a cancer survivor and trying to reconcile the two took a long time for me. Thing that I think I wrestle with. Um, But it's definitely as I've moved further along through survivorship, cancer is not an afterthought, but it's not at the forefront anymore. And so, you know, now I'm doing it full time. I feel like I have the emotional capacity to do it full time where definitely did not think that was a healthy choice for me to make in the very beginning part of my survivorship journey. So, um, so when I think about the last 10 years, it's almost segmented in a way it's like my life in Chicago. So the five years after, and then also my life now in Phil- in the Philadelphia region, which is like the next five years. So the 10 years of twist, the 10 years of now 11 years of survivorship and, um, not having evidence of disease, even though that's not how we at Twist define survivorship. Survivorship is anyone that's heard those three words. You have cancer. I just feel incredibly lucky. Eventually not have evidence of disease. And I fully aware that that is a position of true privilege. And I feel incredibly lucky. Um, But, you know, as we delve into the topic of grief, I think that so many survivors that have no evidence of disease are also living in this sort of state of seeing people around them that are not as, or that relapse, or that do not have the privilege of being able to eventually not have cancer in their, in their body. I am, you know, sort of an outlier in a lot of ways. Like I had a disease that there were less than 200 of us at the time. And so there was a clear trajectory of what my lifespan was going to look like. And I think knowing that and holding that and holding that I had this like horrible diagnosis and here I am 11 years later, healthy and with two kids. And there are those around me that have had the same diagnosis or similar diagnoses and have not had the same story. Definitely riddled with a lot of guilt. And that is something that I have to just reconcile. Yeah. So how do you do that? Um, I think that, you know, (laughs) it's definitely hard. I think I make space for it. So, you know, Mm -hmm. in the last couple of weeks in particular, there have been a number of members of our community that have relapsed and some that are like me 10 years out, 11 years out. And so I think I'm very aware that while I'm in this position of privilege, that privilege can go away at any moment, right? That is very much in my face. Um, But I also feel like I carry with me this responsibility to be able to make the cancer space accessible and more accessible for people like me and like others that are facing a health challenge. And so in some ways, you know, seeing community members struggle is not immediately motivating, but eventually quite motivating in terms of the work that we're doing. And so obviously for me, especially in the last couple of weeks, I had to take a lot of time for myself and really like allow myself to feel all the feelings and to recognize what was going on. And I think it took 
took almost a month for me to then use that as fuel for the work that we do and to like really pound the pavement and like get the word out and make the programs better and stronger and and build things out um, to creating a more sustainable organization. And so I think I have this expectation sometimes of myself that I have to like immediately flip a switch and turn that into action. And I think that's like a huge mistake um, to not allow yourself the space to things. Um, so this time around, I really did, uh, I was a lot more gentle with myself because I mean, I, I had to be, I was not functioning in the way that I wanted to be functioning. I mean, I was deeply, deeply impacted, um, in the last month by, by folks that I love that are hurting. Um, so I'm not unaffected. <laughs> Yeah. And as a staff member, I really admired your leadership when, you know, we got all all these news and updates that were just horrible. And, you know, you are in a position where you're so hopeless and or you feel helpless, um, which, you know, turns into hopelessness. Um, And I really appreciated how you gave the staff an opportunity to feel those emotions and discuss them. Could you go um, on about the twist shop that was for the staff? Yeah. I mean, I think before I talk about like what I did, it's important to talk about what happened to me when I was sick. And, you know, when I was diagnosed, I was working time at the Anti-Defamation League and I had this just unbelievable boss and mentor, Lonnie Nassiter. And he was so rocked by the news when I was sick. And, you know, it was really a family that I worked with. I mean, there were 22 of us, all were incredibly close. And so it was like having a member of the family that was hurting. And so he, you know, later on, I found out about it. But when I was in treatment, and when I went in for the first round, he actually had a counselor come out and talk to the staff so that they could process was what it was like, what to expect, what is Jenna going to look like the next time she comes to the office? Well, how may you interact with her? Like talking about the fears, what to say and not to say. So it like gave the staff an opportunity to process and to think ahead about what's next and um, create like a system of support amongst the team. And so that to me was so eye-opening. It was so thoughtful. It, he was looking after me, but he was also looking after all the members uh, of the team. And so it was something that really stood out to me when I think about like the gifts that happened in my cancer journey. That was like such an extraordinary um, moment of leadership for him and something that I always think about. So, you know, being that we're all spread out as a team at, with Twist and we're on Zoom, it's like, what do I have in my back pocket to help support mm-hmm. our staff and support the board? And, you know, I wanted to also respect, you know, we had a board member that relapsed. And I think that was kind of the the news that was more difficult to take because so many of our staff members have close relationships with this, with this woman. And I wanted to make sure that she was comfortable sharing the news publicly with the team. And so like I needed Mm -hmm. some time to process it on my own, to figure out how to message it out and then to figure out how to take care of the people that I love. And so, you know, we're really lucky that we have some great resources internally, like twist shops or these art therapy workshops and Jackie Carmody, who's on our staff is like an incredible facilitator. 
And so being able to utilize the resources that we have to give people a moment to shine and to like lead us in processing and to create space for everyone. I think, I think it just, it was important. We needed it. Um, and I think that it's, a, it, it's about who we are, right? Like we're, we're creating yeah. space for people to be vulnerable and to own their feelings, right? Like that's what twist is all about is like owning that vulnerability and allowing people to come forward with how they're feeling and what their story is. And I didn't want to just gloss over it and pretend like it wasn't going on. And I think what was so interesting was that our board member ended up coming and she really opened up about how she was feeling. And I think it just gave us further insights into what it's like for someone with stage four disease, what their fears are, what they need, what they think they need or may not need. I mean, it was just, it was very raw and real. And I think in the work that we do, it's rare for us to be able to really dive in and really understand someone's story. But I think we all, those of us that participated in that toy shop heard firsthand all of the fears that she's dealing with. And I think we all like grew a lot in that. I felt Mm -hmm. like I appreciated her so much more and I understood her journey more. And I also um, felt in a way relieved that we could do this for her and support her in this way and support all of the people that were on the call. So it was, it was beautiful and also really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, you know, there is this workplace mentality of keep, keep things to yourself. Don't tell people about your problems. You know, uh, you're there to work and that doesn't help. Um, so what are the benefits? You know, Twist Out Cancer is the tagline, share, connect, heal. What are the benefits of sharing, connecting, and healing in the workplace? Well, so, you know, something that I noticed when I was working prior to my work at Twist is exactly that, that people hold the hard really close to the chest and they don't often, you know, divulge what they're dealing with. I found that throughout my cancer experience, like I would meet people in the waiting room that wouldn't tell their employers, they wouldn't tell their friends and family about what was going on. And while that may feel like it's the right thing to do, that tendency to retreat and to sort of like close off and build up walls, like ultimately what I've seen in the last 10 years of doing this is that it actually really prevents people from integrating their cancer story into their present. Like, I I think that people are often almost stalled in their healing from their experience when they don't talk about it. So I, I saw firsthand, I mean, listen, I grew up with a psychologist for a mother. My background is in social work. We've never been scared of therapy. It is something that is like highly encouraged and celebrated in our house. Like if you're not in therapy, there's something wrong. Like we always should be working ourselves um, and and learning about ourselves and our limitations and growing. And, and so I think for me, why I was able to transition from patient to then running a nonprofit so quickly was I was processing my experience the entire time. I mean, I was actively in therapy from day one. I mean, it was, I had a social worker 
that was there every time I was in the hospital. I was communicating with her sometimes two to three times a week. I mean, it was, it was super important and it was super important post-treatment too for me. Um, so what I have found is that when we allow ourselves to share and open up about what we're dealing with, it just opens up the opportunity for deeper connections with the people that were around. It's like, it's yeah. interesting to me. Like when I was going through treatment, I remember I had some friends that visited me in the hospital during, while I was, you know, inpatient getting chemo and I just kind of broke down with them and said, how is anyone ever going to date me? again, like, look at the package that I'm carrying. And I really believed that I, re- I was, you know, 30 years old and bald and infertile and not sure how long I was going to live for. I mean, these are like real fears. And I remember they had no idea what to say. I mean, what could they say? Like, I don't know what the right thing would have been to say, but I do know that it opened up like a lot more conversations with them about my fears and it allowed me to connect in a deeper way with them. And so, you know, I just think that it, my experience throughout in building twist in it and all of this is that we often will just engage in small talk. And I remember post-cancer yeah. being like, I just want to be able to go to a party and engage in small talk. I didn't remember like how to do that. And I remember like when I was in a car and experienced road rage for the first time, it must've been like six months after treatment. I was so excited to finally like have a normal reaction to something that was so stupid. <laughs> yeah. Right? If you're worrying about like traffic, like it felt normal. Yeah. It felt a lot more normal. So, you know, like you want to be able to engage and have those heavy in meaningful conversations, but it also, <laughs> you want to be able to, to do both things, I guess, you know? So yeah. um, I have just found that at least amongst our staff, I feel so much more connected um, to the people that I work with and have such an appreciation for everyone that's at the table. And I know where they're coming from and what they're managing. And hopefully our team knows that it's a safe space to come forward with their fears and anxieties and vulnerability. So I only see it as a good thing, quite honestly. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like there's a level of intimidation for people with chronic conditions, Um, you know, not just cancer, but anyone with health issues that are not going to go away um, because there is still, they still face discrimination in the workplace um, and workplaces often make their lives harder. And so how, what kind of advice do you have for people in the workplace, especially leaders and those in HR to handle grief, to handle people whose worlds have been rocked or are dealing with something that is different from their colleagues? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think so many of us are carrying baggage, however we want to talk about it, we're carrying you know, heavy weights that are often not visible, right? So cancer can be quite visible. For some, it's invisible, Um, but it's more obvious. And I think there are many people, you know, that suffer from chronic disease, that it's an invisible illness, and they need to be able to also feel supported and feel safe and feel that they can 
come forward with what's going on. And so for me, you know, we have a number of members on our team, Lindsay, that have gone through a lot, you know, and some are open to talking about it and some are not open to talking about it. And I think I feel like still, I felt this way in cancer that I have this privilege of being this keeper of people's secrets and I feel grateful that people come forward and feel safe talking to me about what's going on with them. And I think it's so important that HR considers the importance of prioritizing people's health. I mean, that's just the number one thing, right? If someone needs to take time for themselves and needs to go to doctor's appointments or just needs a personal day, I mean, I just think grief and illness um, can hit us in a very nonlinear way. And Mm -hmm. I knew that firsthand. I mean, even in the last month, my, my feelings about what was going on with the board member whose cancer has reoccurred, and also we lost three members in our Southern program, one of whom was a 13 year old boy. I think that I was immediately impacted. Then I had a couple of good days and then I was like, you know, didn't want to do anything. And I think recognizing that it's not this linear progression necessarily, um, that it can come out of nowhere and it can impact different areas of your life and making sure that you take care of yourself and that you do the things that you need to do to take care of yourself. I, I feel very lucky that I have a support system in place to be able to process what's going on with me. I have a husband that is working it with stage four disease all the time and is someone that I can talk to and really process with, you know, wonderful family and friends that I can talk to also, but not everyone has that. And so I think for HR, it's so important that recognizing signals also that people are dealing and managing with things and um, and also creating a support structure in case there that support system is not there. So making sure that work feels safe for their employees um, and that there are resources readily available um, is important too. You know, I feel like we're so lucky, Lindsay, that because we're a cancer organization, we have so many resources that are built in. So God forbid if someone is experiencing a family member or a friend with cancer, we know where to point them. But I think a lot of other companies don't have those kinds of resources. And so making sure that they know the organizations and individuals that are leaders in the community that they can refer out to, I think, super important, too. Yeah, I I mean, you know that, you know, cancer popped up um, in my life via a couple of friends recently, and I immediately ran to you because I knew that there were resources um, that I could provide them, that I could navigate how I interacted with them. Um, And I think that's so valuable. And um, I feel like cancer, it doesn't discriminate. It is, it's everywhere. Uh, um, And we still don't know how to talk about it when people are diagnosed, you know, we still say the wrong things. Um, So how, how, what are the best ways to, you know, approach the topic, what are some things that you are may, might be a little offensive to say, and what are some things that are, you know help build someone up? Yeah, I mean, I will say, like, even though I have experience in this for 10, 11 years, 
I still mess up. I mean, we're human. I think like we're, we're constantly trying to be perfect and say the right thing and do the right thing and give the right gift. And at the end of the day, there really isn't a perfect thing to do. It is a horrible situation, right? But there are certain things that are certainly not right to do and say, and there, there are better things to do, right? So I just think we should stop striving for perfection. It doesn't exist. Um, I mean, and I'm always learning too and reflecting, right? So I'll think about what I said or didn't say and think about how I could improve on it. Um, but I will say there is such a tendency to want to relate your own experience to what that person's experiencing. I mean, most of us try and be as empathetic as possible, but the truth is, is that there's no two cancer experiences alike. Even if you knew someone that had a blood cancer or had knew someone that, you know, was similarly diagnosed in age, like, yes, you can mention those things, but I think you have to also recognize what the context is when it's appropriate to mention those things. I mean, I just, I remember clearly there was this really sweet board member who was kind of a man of a few words when I was working at ADL. And he had heard that I had been diagnosed with a blood cancer and he came into my office and he told me about his, I think it was his daughter-in-law that had died of a blood cancer. And I, it was early and I really was just not, capable of taking it in. I didn't know what to say. It was my worst fear realized. I don't, at that point in my, and even still now, I don't want to hear about people that are dying when I'm fighting for my life, right? Like all he wanted to do was to say, I can relate to what you're experiencing. Or, I know what it's like to be scared. But instead of saying those things, he tried to pull from his own experience, which was not helpful at all. It ended up that the conversation became about him and what he had experienced as opposed to about me. And so I think when you're going into it, you want to make sure that the conversation isn't turning back towards you for whatever reason, right? Like you're there to support your friend or your loved one. It shouldn't be about you. It should be about them. And I think the number one thing is that people want to feel like they have a safe space to share and so sometimes it's just listening, really, and just giving them permission and that knowing that you are going to be there to listen and that you're going to be there and you're going to keep showing up even when it gets hard. Those are the two things for me. Like, you know, some of the time I had, I had a dear friend, Casey, who would just come to the hospital and she would just hold my hand. And sometimes we just sat in silence. And that was actually all I really needed. It was incredibly comforting, you know, to know that she was there. We didn't have to talk about anything. So, and the needs of the person are going to change also as they're going through treatment and as the, their cancer journey continues. So, you know, I just, I think that listening is number one, being non-judgmental and not making it about you. Those are the, the key takeaways. Yeah. I, I love how you brought up how each journey is unique and its own. And I want to use that to segue into uh, Brushes with Cancer, which is Twist Out Cancer's signature program, because what it really does is it highlights that you you know unique experience and it puts the spotlight on the person and their cancer journey. 
could you go into brushes and how it really helps people, you know, with their cancer journeys make sense of, of some things? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, brushes with cancer uh, was inspired by Anna Swarthout, who I met through my oncologist. It's crazy to think that there were 200 gray zoners out there in the world. And one of them happened to live 10 miles away from where I grew up. Um, I was very lucky that there was someone else like me that was a couple months behind me in treatment that I could help and guide a little bit and tell her what to expect. Here's how I manage chemo. Like, you know, we were sharing tips and tricks, essentially. Like, How do you deal with dry mouth? And how do you deal with the sores and all the things that come up? Um, but Anna was one of our first um, participants for Twist. She was she was amazing. She was in the middle of treatment and she put out a call to action on her website, essentially saying, I'm an art history major. I've lost my sense of creativity, create a work of art, not using the shade of gray because gray was all that she was seeing. And within a couple of days, we had people all over the world that were creating art in her honor. And it was just this beautiful outpouring of love and creativity and support. And so from there, we turned that concept into Brushes with Cancer, which essentially matches artists with people touched by cancer. And over a six month period, the inspiration, so the person touched by cancer, we refer to as inspirations, they share their story. They have to explain what they think is most important for their artist and for the world to know about what they've experienced. So it engages them in sort of storytelling and thinking through how do you distill all the lessons into, you know, what you want to share. It's a hard process, especially if you've been in it for a while. Um, and the artist then is responsible for creating a work of art that's reflective of that person's journey. And in the process of storytelling, the inspiration has to think about what's most important. And in the process of creating, the artist has to think about how that story is going to be told and reflected. And I think by experiencing your story through someone else's eyes, through someone else's art, you're able to see a different side of yourself and a different side of your story and how it resonates with others. And I think, you know, I, I give this comparison a lot, but it's the best that I can do. It's like when we look in the mirror, what do we see? We see what we want to see, right? Like who is reflecting back at us, but you may see someone totally different when you look at me and I don't know what that is. Yeah. Right. So the artist is charged with creating that story, but it's, it's very much that inspiration story, but it's also their story. It's how they're viewing that person. And so I think seeing someone else's perspective of what you've experienced can be incredibly healing. Mm -hmm. And we have Brushes with Cancer coming up on May 1st. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? I'm so excited to be back in person. Um, yeah. yeah. It's been, you know, two plus years since we've really been able to do anything in person. We've had some limited in-person engagements, but this is like the closest thing that we're doing similar to what we did, you know, in 2019, where we had big blowout events. So essentially at the end of Brushes with Cancer, Historically, what we do is we have these big art exhibitions and galas that are essentially a place for the community to, to come together to celebrate the participants in the program, but also to listen to the stories that are being told and to create a space that's safe and meaningful and lots of really unexpected intersections happen between 
different survivors and their families and loved ones and other artists. And we just never know what's going to happen at these events. And it's quite magical, quite honestly, because people are so vulnerable and open. And so it creates this space for like crazy connectivity um, and meaningful conversations. And so on May 1st, the Southern region, which has been working together now for almost, I think it's almost nine months that they've been connected because it was supposed to happen in March. We delayed it because of Omicron. So now um, we'll be gathering together and it's going to be at Dripping Springs Distillers Hall um, right outside of Austin. And it's mostly an outdoor space um, with the inside will have the art and it will be masked up and we're taking lots of precautions because of the demographic that we're working with. But it's really wonderful to be able to finally integrate the virtual space with the physical space. We've gone virtual for the last two years and now for those that are coming and will be there in person, we have the virtual program that's going to be happening within the physical program. So it really is sort of the merging of both worlds and allows for people to tune in no matter where they're at in the world, whether they're in the hospital and are hooked up or whether they're out and about and with their family, we want to meet people where they're at. And so we're excited to be able to do this. Yeah, that's amazing. And what I really love about Twist Out Cancer is the uh, amount of free opportunities for participants. Now, brushes, I want to make clear, you know, it's a paid ticketed event, but Twist Shops are free. Um, It's free for inspirations to participate. um, And it really, really opens up. It's very inclusive in that way. Yeah, it was super important to me because I was very aware of the privilege that I had accessing resources. Um, I mm-hmm. had insurance. I had a job that supported me. I had access to wonderful cancer treatment at a academic hospital that was well-ranked. I was in a city. I had family. I had all the things, and I still struggled. And so it has made me very cognizant and aware that most people do not have all of those things. And so being able to address the inequity that exists within the healthcare system is super important. So our programs will always be free. They are free to participate for Brushes participants. Those galas, are they always receive comp tickets for themselves and for their loved ones. And it's really like we raise our funds every year to be able to create those opportunities for people to access our programs. It's super important. It's at the heart of what we do. And I think it's also meaningful for folks that are in particular in the Brushes program to know that by participating in the Brushes program, their art that sells then enables the next crop of people to come in and be able to participate. So it's very much like a pay it forward model where by participating and benefiting from the program, you're then opening up the ability for more people to be able to engage in this. And so I think that's, it's it's a really beautiful part of what we do. And thank goodness for the generosity of our sponsors and donors and individuals that believe in us and allow us to be able to continue to, to offer free programming for all. Amazing. Uh, well, I think this is a great note to wrap up on, but I know that this um, podcast, it reaches a lot of business leaders, but everyone has some sort of cancer story in their life, whether it's a family member, a friend, themselves. And I know a lot of people are aching for resources. So if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do so? 
you can email me at jenna at twistoutcancer.org and definitely check out our website, twistoutcancer.org. We have lots of stuff on the website and we also have a cancer resource section under the About Us um, that you can hear about where to get wigs and where to access um, transportation, all the things that come up for a cancer patient and their loved ones. So there's lots of goodies in there to explore. And tons of writing by by you, Lindsay, who have really elevated the stories of our community members. And it's really been beautiful to have this compilation of stories that is, that's available on the site. So thank you. You're amazing. And thank you. And the opportunity to listen and to, you know, everyone's stories. It has been very life-changing for me as well. It's given me a lot of perspective it's gotten me back into art after 15 years. Yes. So yes. that is reciprocated greatly. Um, and I'm just so happy that we could record this episode today because it's such an important topic. And I know so many people are, are in pain or confused or not sure where to go. Um, and I hope that this conversation gives them a starting point or a resource that they didn't have before. Thank you, Lindsay. Yeah. And thank you um, for joining. Again, I'm Lindsay Patton, host of People Analytics Podcast. If you know anyone who is making the workplace better, please feel free to reach out at me, lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.